Good morning. Our first reading this morning will be from the book of Genesis, chapter 23, verses 1 through 16. Genesis 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abram went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from his for his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron, In the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of the land worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, four hundred shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. This is the word of the Lord. One more passage, if you will, turn to Revelation chapter one, uh, 21. Revelation 21, I'm going to read that to you in a minute, verses 1 through 4. Uh, but every now and then it's worth changing around and starting the sermon different. And, you know, recently uh, we've had a few funerals, uh, not for anyone in our church, glad to say, for relatives of members in our church, but just to to uh, talk to you today about a message about no more crying here in 2023. We're going to talk about something we need to know about to be prepared for a place where there's uh, no more crying. We need to be ready for that in the new year. In 1998, we were all getting ready to go to a family reunion in Caddo Lake, um, Caddo Lake is an amazing place. Many of you maybe don't know about Caddo Lake, but it's a, it's a lake that's on the, between Texas and Louisiana border. Uh, it's a beautiful lake. Uh, it's a natural lake. It's a God-made lake. It's full of cypress trees and full of pump jacks. And if you don't know what a pump jack is, you, you know, they, they used to just be everywhere across the state pumping oil and gas. And uh, at night, I remember laying in bed in the little house we were in and you could hear that thing chunk, chugging out there all night long. You could hear it across the water. 
and it's full of fish. And so my Aunt Carol and my Uncle Doyle were, were going down to the lake house and getting everything ready for uh, our great family reunion. And I used to think this place was like the Holiday Inn. I, re- I can tell you all some stories. I can tell you the history about how one, one day it, I didn't know what he was doing. And there was a big digger out there just digging a giant hole. And I said, what are you doing, Uncle Doyle? He said, just wait, just wait. And then the big, uh, another uh, bulldozer came and bulldozed the house into the hole. And they covered it up and got rid of that house. It was gone right beside the lake. And so this place, they've turned into the Holiday Inn. My wife and I, the last time they were there, it was full of frogs. It was decorated with frogs. Frogs were literally everywhere. And you could listen at night to the frogs making their sounds as well. Well, my Aunt Carol got overheated that day as they prepared for our family family reunion. She had a heart attack and she died. They care-flighted her into Shreveport, but she died. And so we had a funeral within, within days of that, and uh, several weeks went by. And Lori and I were living in a small uh, mobile home, um, we could, that's a story by itself too and so dad one day came over my dad never came to see me I would walk to see dad um, I would drive over to talk to dad I'd go hunting with dad but dad never came to my house I always went to his house and so something was up I knew something was up and so dad comes in and I'm kind of watching him tooling around the house you know I'm kind of going what's going on with my dad he never comes to see me so I went over and I said dad what's going on so he starts talking in broken sentences he starts talking about having rushed over to Shreveport. And I said, uh, he can't even talk now. And I said, well, now, Dad, did you see Aunt Carol on the emergency room table? He said, I did. His tears are coming down his eyes. This 59-year-old man, tears are coming down his eyes. I said, did you see her on the table? I did. He said, I did. It's bothering you. He said, it is. Think about this. This man's 59 years old. This man gone and earned himself a doctorate degree. This man's been teaching math for 40 plus years. This man's done family. This man's done fishing. This man's done teaching. This man's done all these things. He's accomplished and has all this experience, but he's about this acquainted with death. My dad is about this acquainted with death. And he cried in front of me. I never saw my dad cry. That's why this is like a momentous thing. He wasn't aware of what a body looked like on a table without makeup. Years later, I talked to a minister in the OPC in Monterey Bay, and I asked him after after the first 11 years of his ministry, he had never done a funeral. In the first four or five years I was in Houston, I had done almost probably eight funerals. And we sat down and we talked together about, you know, what do you do when a family comes in there? There's first a phone call. Will you talk to us about doing a funeral service? Yes. Will you come to the office? And so we sit down and we talk about a funeral, an order of service. And we talk and people begin to cry. And then one of the things that was really painful to me in California is that for weeks after the funeral, people would be sitting in the church and they would all be crying for months. It really works the preacher over when 30 people are crying during the sermon. A lot of grief, folks, in this world. And we need to know about a place where there's no more crying. I'm going to preach to you about a place where there will be no more need for you to sit down and talk to a minister about an order of service for a loved one. (laughs) I want to preach to you about a place where there's no more need for you to plan for your own funeral. 
I want to preach to you about a place where there's no more tears. Let me give to you Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. This is the word of the Lord. Well, the first point, the last point is a place where there's no more crying. But the first point is about a place where there's a great deal of crying. The second point is about a place where there's only crying all the time. And we finish with this place where there's no more crying. What is the place where there's a great deal of crying? Well, it's, have you, you figured that out, haven't you? It's this place. It's this place. If you go and you read, to, read the Bible, there's two things that are very, very interesting about this place. This place is full of splendors and joy as well as crying. If you go read Psalm 19, it says this, The heavens are declaring the glory of God. So when you go outside and you look at the sun and the moon and the stars, all these things are declaring the glory of God. And, and even the psalmist says the, the sun is like a, a bridegroom. He comes out in the east and he parades across all the way to the west and he just does all this beautiful stuff and he heats the world up and then he goes back to bed. He's, it's a beautiful thing to see the sun and the moon and the stars, the mountains and the valleys. All these things are beautiful. I remember when we went to Monterey Bay, you know, you know, when you're from Texas, you don't know about Monterey Bay. And then you drive there, and all of a sudden, you're driving, walk, watching the ocean. And then all of a sudden, you have to stop because everybody's getting out of their cars, and everybody's opening their doors, and they get their phone, and they start taking pictures. What are you taking pictures of? Well, they're taking pictures of the sunset. It's unbelievably beautiful. There's places in Texas, like I said, there's Caddo Lake, and there's Yosemite, and there's Lake Tahoe. And I would go back to any of these places again because they're so beautiful. And then there's the joy of having babies. You know, we talk about the pain of having a child. And then all of a sudden, the pain goes away because the baby's right there on the mama's bosom, and all the, there's no more tears. This whole earth that we're talking about, this world in which we live, there's a lot of splendor and there's a lot of joy. There's also plenty of crying. Baby Moses was crying when Pharaoh's daughter first saw him. Would she draw him in to herself and take care of him, or would she throw him back into Nile? Hagar wept for her little boy Ishmael when she thought he was going to die. And we just heard read by Mr. Ross that Abraham wept when Sarah died, and he had to make funeral preparations after she died. A place to bury had to be uh, bought. Joseph was crying in distress when he pleaded with his brothers not to throw him in a pit and not to sell him to an Ishmaelite caravan. Jacob, when he was deceived by those same sons, he said these words. He says, In mourning after Joseph, I will go down to the grave. Job suffered loss. He suffered the loss of his wealth and his health, and he scraped sores, and he suffered in the loss of his family. You know, one of the things I've had to tell people before, Oh, God restored Job. Everything, everything was restored at the end. But he still lost all those family members. He still had loss. 
And he said this, man was born for trouble as the sparks fly upward. We've studied Hannah in recent weeks, weeping over barrenness, weeping over her co-wife, <laughs> the co-wife who rubbed the salt into her wound about not having children. And David cried, oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, Absalom. Think about it. We just studied, you know, most of the time we have Christmas. And it, when we talk about Christmas, there's something in Christmas. We talk about Herod the Great, Herod the hate, hater, Herod the hater. So these magi come and they say, where is this child? We followed his star to the center of the universe and we followed him. Where is he born? They, these men come out and tell him Bethlehem. And so these men, they go over to Bethlehem. And two years later, what does he do? It says there was weeping and mourning in Ramah because their children were no, no more. Because he destroyed all the two-year-olds and down. He would have this little child king not live. We see death. We see Jairus weeping over his 12-year-old daughter. We see a widow of Nain weeping over the loss of her only son. And Jesus goes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And he cries with Martha and with Mary. The Bible's full of real stuff, real life. This is what life is. It's a life full of difficulties and many tears. You and I today, we're not the only ones who are crying. Babies being born and they are crying. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say their names, but there's some babies in here who will probably need to go talk to their daddy today and say, Daddy, will you help me with my boo-boo? Will you kiss my boo-boo and make it all better? This past week, we buried, a man, we buried a woman, 89 years old. She'd been married to her husband for 71 years. And he was crying. I've, I've, I've heard people do, say some things that are amazing to me. Um, I've heard people when I was training in the gym say, when is that girl or when is that man going to, when are they going to get back to normal three or four days later after burying their husband or their wife? And I think to myself, <laughs> how unreasonable is that? Have we lost the ability to mourn? People a long time ago used to put black on. They used to mourn for months. 71 years, brother. 45 back here. <laughs> 32 years here. 71? <laughs> That's a long time. Don't you think that guy's going to cry? Things aren't the same. Now, we need to get up and we need to eat and we need to go through our, our routines, but... Life is never the same. Where did all this crying in the world come from? When God created the heavens and the earth, He created everything He made very good. In fact, the first time He said things were not good, He said it was not good because a man was alone. And so He put the man asleep, pulls out a rib, makes a woman for Him, and brings her to Him, and now everything's really good, right? And then Adam and Eve sinned. They ate from the tree that God forbid them to eat from, and that is where Sin entered into the world. When sin entered into the world, crying started because that led to death. There was first spiritual death. There was first the man and the woman hiding from the God they walked with. There was then the man and the woman hiding from each other. There's problems between in marriage. And then there's problems in ourselves. Every time I think about this, every time I think about Adam and Eve and what's going on in the garden, I think sometimes this is why I have such a problem with myself. Don't you ever just look into your heart and say, why? I just like that about me. Before the fall, that didn't happen. Can you imagine? Before the fall, Adam never said, I don't like that about me. 
Well, we say that about, I say that kind of often. Why do I do that? This is all because of sin. Death is the result of sin, lack of peace with God, lack of peace with other men, lack of peace on the inside, quarreling, fighting. If there was no sin, there'd be no pain, be no death. There'd be no need to make conflicts uh, right. Every one of our joys, every one of our happinesses is going to be interrupted with many tears. Well, we've seen the place where there's a great deal of crying. Second, let's look at a place where there's only crying all the time. What is this place? You know, dare I even say the name of it? Has anybody said it in your presence lately? Do they talk about it on TV as if it's a real place? Jesus, we talked about last week. Remember that verse we talked about, Luke chapter 2, verse 11? For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you. His name is Christ the Lord. And so we see this. And this is the person the angel said, glory to God in the highest. And he said, this person's been born to bring peace between God and men. The only way to be okay and right with God and to be in right favor with God is through this child that was born, this Savior, for you. Peace between yourself and God. He's the mediator. Dare I say the place? (laughs) Where there's only crying all the time? That's where a person goes who doesn't take hold of this baby who who comes at Christmas. And this child that came at Christmas, he grew up to be a man. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. This is the person who talked more about the place where there's only crying all the time than the place where there's only joy all the time. He talked more about hell than he did about heaven. That's the place we're talking about. The lover of man's soul, the one who loved you so much that he came and gave his life a ransom for many. He said more about hell than he did about heaven. On this earth, there's joy and sorrow. On this earth, there's pain in childbirth replaced by the joy of that birth. On this earth, there's thorns and thistles in work. You know, um, years ago, I, I'm, going to, listen, I'm going to tell you all this. <laughs> I, I, I say this, and this just washes over me. Even right now, it just washes over me. I'm medicine, okay? So we buried a seven-year-old, and I had a seven-year-old. I have a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a, and a nine-year-old when this boy died. And it was heavy. It was a painful day. So we go out, and we bury. His name was Morgan. And we came back after this funeral and committal and all the things you do. And I went outside in the backyard and I had two girls that pulled out the toenail polish and they painted my toenails all sorts of colors. And it was just like medicine washing over me. These people, they, it just took me out of it all. It was so wonderful in the midst of so much pain. There was some children that just kind of made it all better. <laughs> there's work and there's vacations in this life. There's backaches and there's colds and there's coughs in this life. And you can go to a doctor and the same doctor can give you something for your backache, something for your cold and something for your cough. In this life, there's defeats and victories and discouragements and encouragements. But in the place where there's only crying all the time, there's no mixture at all. 
no laughter, no children with toenail polish painting your toes yellow and green and red and whatever. (laughs) It's only crying all the time. Body and soul tormented from head to toe. The eyes tortured by the sight of the devil, tortured by the sight of never seeing God's face, the tongue always looking for a drop of water. Remember what what the rich man said to Abraham, send Lazarus just to touch my tongue. The heart always tormented over the consequences of sin and the heart never being happy with the way of salvation though. No intermission, always Always tears, always darkness and gloom. You know, when you have a funeral, you have friends come over. Now, at this funeral, I was sitting at the front, and a hundred people were out there, and Bill was sitting over here, and all these people would go over and talk to him. And then when it was all over, we went over to the house, and all these women came over. This sound familiar, guys? All these women came over, and they served as drinks and they gave us coffee and they gave us cookies and they came over and they hugged on us and they talked to us all and so it was a little break in the action if you will but in this place where there's no more crying nobody comes around no relief no release Jesus tells us about this place called hell he says in Matthew 7 he calls it a place of destruction He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be who find it. He says, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. So there's only two places we can go when we leave this world where there's a great deal of crying. There's only two places. One where there's only crying all the time, and one where there's no more crying. Which place will we go? How can we be fit for the place where there's no more crying? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight. I'm going to uh, give y'all an illustration I've given to you before, so forgive me. But in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus gives two commands. He says, "Take." He says this. He says, "Come to me," and he says, "Take my yoke upon you. Come to me." Why come to me? Because he's the only one. He's the only mediator between God and man. In John fourteen six, Jesus says, "I am the way." Wow, we could talk about that, couldn't we? He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord, right? Which one is it? He says these things, and he's either telling us lies, or he is the Lord. And he's the one who can save us and make us fit for heaven. I'm the way to God. No one can come to the Father. No one can come to the Father except through me. And Jesus tells Martha, as he's there with before Lazarus in the tomb, that if you believe in me, Martha, even if you die, you shall live. Come to me. How do you come? Well, you come weary and heavy laden. You come with all your lack of peace between yourself and your soul and God. You come and you say, you know what, I've got all kinds of problems in my relationships. You come and you say, I've got guilt between myself and God. I don't have his smile on my life. I've seen some friends of mine go through terrible, terrible times, and they seem to know there's a smile behind that frowning providence. (laughs) I don't have that. You come with your sin. You come with your being overmastered by sin. And you tell him, you come just like you are. And he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So these two commands. And why does Jesus think he has the right to tell us what to do? (laughs) Because he's not a sir. He's Lord. He's master. 
He can tell us what to do. He created us. He came to redeem us. And so he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this is where I've told you this before, but think about it. Yokes and easy don't go together, and burdens that are light, they don't go together. Burdens are heavy, and yokes are always restrictive, right? Have you ever known it any other way? But Jesus puts yokes together with easy, and he puts burden together with the word light. What does he mean? Well, I think he means this. And this is what people, this is what we need to drill into our mind all the time. I tell myself this all the time. Not just one, not just one time, but all the time, what I'm about to tell you. When I sit there uh, in college, we, uh, we had the pre-med guys, we had the engineering guys, and the pre-med guys and engineering guys were all studying pretty much the same math, pretty much the same chemistry and all that sort of thing. So we're there, and on Monday mornings, these fellows would come in. I'm going to take my coat off because it's hot. Um, these these fellows would come in, and they had on their uh, shorts, and uh, they had strawberries. They had strawberries on their arms. They had bruises all over their arms. They had places where they were picking out thorns and things that were in their skin. And I was going, what happened to you? Well, we went hang gliding. Oh, okay. Well, you must surely love it because you sure look banged up. Well, these guys would tell me, man, I ran and I took off and I went 50 yards before I hit the ground. And then I got bolder and I ran and I got a little higher and I went 100 yards before I hit the ground. And, of course, they're always trying to land better than, than they did. And, uh, but before they ever jumped, they always had to strap that harness on. Part of it goes around the shoulder, right, left shoulder, you know, your torso, you're totally in this harness. Now, if somebody came into this building to sit down with one of these hang gliders on, they wouldn't be very comfortable because it's not made for sitting in church. But it's made for jumping off the side of a hill. (laughs) And so when they jumped, this harness, all of a sudden this uplift happens and this flying starts taking place and there's this exhilaration and they're excited and they they just, they want to do it all the time. And this is what being yoked to Jesus is like. Being yoked to Christ. Being yoked to his commandments. Oh no, somebody's telling me what to do. <laughs> but you know what? When you, get those, when you get that yoke called Jesus Christ on you and those commandments that come from him, what you don't understand is that the grace you need to do those commandments comes along with the yoke. And all of a sudden... You're doing the next right thing, and you're saying to yourself, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. Mom says, do this. Go do it. You'll be free. No more conflict. (laughs) Mom, dad says, do this. Jesus says, do this. And so I remember, I'm telling y'all, you know, open the Bible, read the Bible, and go on this adventure called obedience, and you will find that all the grace you need to do what Jesus commands comes right along. But you got to go do it. you got to go do it. And so there's all this enjoyment. And so strangely, as you take this yoke upon yourself, you find your sins forgiven. Strangely, as you take this yoke upon yourself, you find that you have a new heart. You find you have this new energy to do the will of God and live a different kind of life. Now this freedom that we have in Christ as we, as we take Him and we 
are strapped into that yoke, it doesn't mean that we won't experience tears in this life. But it does mean that, think about this. Sometimes we think about, I'm taking, I'm taking that yoke on me. But Jesus is yoked to you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. When all the tears, when all the folks are crying, he's never going to walk away. He's yoked to you just as you take his yoke. He takes hold of you. Well, third, let's talk about the place where there's no more crying. So you come to Jesus Christ, you take his yoke upon you, and he becomes the path, he becomes the way, he becomes the glider that glides you all the way from this earth where there's so much crying, all the way to a place where there's no more crying at all. That place is called heaven. In heaven there will be no more death, no more mourning, and no more crying. Young people, I, I only have a few here. Yeah. Honor in heaven, there's no more schoolwork. In heaven, there's no more papers to write. In heaven, there's no more books to read. In heaven, there's no more tests to take. In heaven, there's no more discipline. In heaven, there's no more work. In heaven, there's no more farming. In heaven, there's no more house cleaning. In heaven, there's no more child rearing. In heaven, there's no more trying to figure out how to pay the bills. Here's one for you. In heaven, there's no more telemarketers. In heaven, there's no more insurance companies. That's for Lori. In heaven, there's no more sickness. There's no more hearing bad phone calls from doctors bearing bad news. In heaven, there's, listen to this, there's no more moving. How, how many of you guys moved? Do you realize, I, I used to sit there, I used to sit there in California before we moved here. I used to sit there and think, how hard would it be to move from our house to across the street? It almost is hard, except for the trip. Because <laughs> you're having to move. How much stuff do you let go of? How much stuff do you give away? All the stuff, you give it all away. What are you learning when you move? Well, you're learning that this world doesn't, is, is not your home. You're learning like Abraham, he had one place in the land of Canaan that belonged to him, but it was supposed to be all his. But he had a down payment. And you and I have the Holy Spirit. We have a down payment that heaven is our home, and we're getting ready to go there through this person called Jesus Christ. In, when we get there, it's a city. It's a city whose builder and maker is God. It's a, it's a place called the New Jerusalem, and the Father's on the throne, and the Lamb is there, and there will be no need for light because the Lamb lights up the place. And underneath the throne, there's this water, this crystal clear water, and it's flowing along. And on either side of that river, there's the tree of life, and we get to eat from it. <laughs> there's 12 different kinds of fruits being born every single month from one tree. That's a picture of abundant life. We have abundant life now. We have the promise of it then. It's a place for God. It's a place for God's people. It's a place where our loved ones are present in Jesus' presence right now. You know, we talk about tonight, we're going to do the nine lessons and carols of Christmas at the King's College in Cambridge. And in that bidding prayer, it talks about our loved ones who are on the other side of the river in a place far better than us because they worship by sight, we by faith. They are there. And when we go there, it'll be a place of love and acceptance and welcome. And it'll never end 
strength, health forevermore. No more sin. I can't even imagine. No more sin. (laughs) No more world to forsake. No more devil to resist. No more flesh to put to death. One man said, Luther and Zwingli in heaven are in agreement. (laughs) In heaven, it'll be Jesus. It'll be face to face. In heaven, Jesus is going to take your tears and he's going to wipe them away. There'll be no more hurting. There'll be no more conflict. There'll be no more pain. Would you go to this place? Well, you've heard how to get there. You come to Jesus. You've heard how to get there. You take him on you and he takes your sins away. He's the one who can give you the new heart. He's the one who went to the cross and his body was broken. His blood was poured out so that you have that way to heaven. In fact, that's how he prepares those, those uh, many rooms and dwelling places for us. If you want to go to heaven, you have to ask him to let you in. You have to call on his name. Isn't that what well, we, we read this in our, our study of Luther a few weeks back? The chief, the chief exercise of faith is what? It's prayer. You have to ask him to let you in. Faith will pray. Faith will say, Lord, let me in. Faith will say, Lord, let me in and cleanse me of my sins. Give me that new heart. Help me to walk with you today. We need to ask Jesus in, to let us in so that we can be saved from a place where there's only crying all the time. When we leave this place, where there's a great deal of, cl- of crying, that we might be with him forever and happy in that place where there's only joy all the time. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word preached. We thank you for brains that are focused in We see so many people. We see people who come to funerals, who twiddle their thumbs. People who cry over losses but don't listen to the word. We see people not listening to anything about salvation. They'll eat food. They'll talk about everything. But Lord, I thank you for those who've been here today and their hearts were listening. Their ears were tuned in. Lord, work in our lives these truths. Improve them during this day as we go home and go our way. Help us to live for you in 2023. Help us to live in this place where there's much tears. Help us enjoy the good things. Help us to go through the difficult things together and with you. And help us to always remember there's a place we're headed the celestial city where there's joy forever. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.